Greetings and salutations, sports and wrestling fans all across the wide and wonderful internet. Time for another glorious edition of the Man in the Arena podcast. I am always your humble host, Michael Shibley. And of course, we're talking football. It's Florida week in December, which is one of the weirdest things I never thought I'd be saying when it comes to Tennessee football, but that's where we're at. And of course, if we're talking football, we've got to bring in my good buddy, Trey Pack is with me. Trey, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing wonderful. I uh, It's been a nice couple weeks without being disappointed on a weekend, and it looks uh, like uh, winter is back. So, yeah, I'm, we're just going to be sad again on Saturday. Yes, winter is coming, which comes to AEW, which we've got an iconic return in the world of AEW and a new champion. We'll talk all about that at the end of the program. But, of course, yes, we start off Tennessee again. They had their game with Vanderbilt postponed is what they're calling it because of stuff with the Arkansas program. So Arkansas and Missouri couldn't play. So they moved the rescheduled Vanderbilt, Missouri game there. They haven't officially said that Tennessee and Vanderbilt are going to be playing that sec championship weekend. We'll just kind of have to wait and see where they are, but Tennessee is scheduled to play their big rival, the Florida Gators, with, of course, one of the Heisman uh, hopefuls in Kyle Trask. So, in Tennessee, and we'll talk more about this, of course, when we pick the game, but Tennessee, a 17.5-point favorite at home against the rival. It's not looking good for the Big Orange. Yep, it's going to, and we'll get into it more later, but it's it's really going to be a nightmare to watch a Heisman Trophy winner get made on in Neyland Stadium. So, uh, we'll, we'll talk about it a little more later, but it's not going to be great. No, it's, who boy. I mean, and, and one of the things I was just thinking about here when you talk about Heisman Trophy winners playing against Tennessee, I mean, of course, you can go back and talk about some of the great players at Alabama. I was about to say Alabama. I was like, Alabama hadn't won a Heisman Trophy until uh, until recently. I was like, you know, Joe Namath, any of those guys never won the Heisman, so I was like, never mind. But they played like Bo Jackson, uh, and Herschel Walker, and of course Herschel Walker. My goodness, uh, you talk about those guys. Some of the, but Tennessee stood up against a lot of those guys or played some really good games. Well, not Herschel Walker, but they did yes. against Bo Jackson in '85 when yeah. Auburn was number one. They stopped Bo a lot in that game. Yep, yeah. My dad talks about that game all the time. Anytime Bo Jackson comes up, he's like, "Yeah, well, they came in our house and we whooped shit," you know, so on and so forth. You know how dads are. But, uh, but yeah, no, yeah. Now, on the other hand, you did mention that Herschel Walker won the Heisman Trophy in Neyland Stadium. So, yeah, uh, and that was just a move as a freshman. I mean, he just went on to win it, I think, as a senior. But I mean, he made his impact in that first 1980 season for crying out loud. Yeah, he found his career in the crater he left Bill Bates in. So that's awesome. Yep. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Those, that call, my God, a freshman. It's like, we know, we know. It's, <laughs> right, it's exactly. It's a nightmare. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, the Heisman Trophy in Tennessee just does not go hand-in-hand hand much when it comes to all of that, which is just depressing for so, right. so many. <laughs> I promised my legal team I would not talk about Heisman Trophies in Tennessee football. So, <laughs> I cannot, just because I will go back to jail for it, and I'm not afraid. Yeah, and I don't have enough bail money right now. You know, times are tough. So, uh, 97. It doesn't matter that he played, but okay, anyway. All right. Yep. I know. 
<laughs> of course, yeah, you look at other ones, you just look, I'm just looking at the Heisman list. Vinny Testaverde won the Heisman the year after Tennessee destroyed him in that 85 Sugar Bowl, so, which, you know, was always fun to see. Which, I mean, that's one of those memorable games. That's the first game my dad had on VHS. Oh, nice. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. What was amazing about that, too, was the fact that that was before you remembered kind of how to pause out the commercials because you were recording the game. You could just hit pause and you won't have to have the commercials on there. My dad didn't do that. So we were living in California. I was two at the time. That's how long ago that was. But you got all these California 1985 commercials, which is just weird when you look back at it. Oh, that would be super interesting shit. Like next, if you can get your hands on that, I would actually really be interested to see that. It would be. It's great. Yeah, but I mean, Tennessee played against like Mark Ingram, who was that Alabama Heisman Trophy winner. It took me a minute to figure that out, and just but you know, Derrick Henry, of course, blew Tennessee away though the last time Alabama had Heisman Trophy winner. Derrick Henry still doing work pretty well in the NFL, which we'll talk about. When we get to it, and we might see another one with Kyle Trask, as we mentioned. Um, so we will have to wait and see. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, it's it's definitely anybody's race right now, in my opinion, as far as the Heisman. But, I mean, if, if Kyle Trask comes in and throws six or seven touchdowns, like I think he's going to. Yeah. Especially with them. I mean, they have no reason to call the dogs off or in conference, you know, uh, rivalry. rivalry exactly and you're you're trying to make a bid to get in the playoffs you beat your you know your big conference travel by 45 50 points it looks good yeah it does that it does my goodness and especially and we'll see going forward if it is florida versus alabama in the sec championship game you could have a heisman trophy quarterback duel between mac jones and Kyle Trask, which would be really interesting to watch if it all ends up that way. It would really be interesting to watch, man, but I'll tell you this. If Matt Jones wins the Heisman Trophy, that, I mean, come, we're talking about the most outstanding football player in the country, and you're going to look at Matt Jones and say that's the guy? Come on. Yeah, he's got way better wide receivers, I think, right now than Florida does, and Florida's got some pretty good ones as well. Yeah, and he's playing in the greatest scheme ever conceived in football. Yep, also yes. No, But one of the reasons, again, we talk about the way these games have gotten so adjusted and just gone crazy is, again, because of COVID-19. And because of that, that's why Vanderbilt ended up playing against Missouri this week. We mentioned at the top of the show because of all the adjustments, but also because of COVID, you had a really interesting and historic situation happen in Columbia, Missouri, as all the specialists for Vanderbilt were unavailable at the game because of COVID and contract tracing. So, uh, the Vanderbilt coaching staff under, well, now ex-head coach Derek Mason made a phone call to the SEC champion Vanderbilt women's soccer team to Sarah Fuller because they were looking at all the options that they could have and asked her if she'd ever kicked a football before. And she said yes, came down, practiced a little bit, and she suited up for the Vanderbilt Commodores and kicking the second half kickoff for them she became the first woman to play in a Power 5 conference football game with Vanderbilt. And again, it was just a great historic moment. Uh, I was very 
excited to see it, and I'm very proud of her. And, of course, we'll go into more details in a minute, but, Trey, I wanted to just get your initial thoughts on everything that happened with that situation. Yeah, man, definitely historic. Um, My favorite part about this is that anybody that comes out and says, oh, this is a publicity stunt, this is a, you know. I've seen people on Twitter say this was like Derek Mason trying to save his job. Like, you know what I mean? Just trying to have some big sort of, you know, humanitarian type story. Yeah. But I mean, if you look, if you watch the, the tape and, what, and look at the stats, what is, what is Sarah Fuller? I think she's above, she's over six foot. I think she's yeah. listed at six two. She's I've six seen, two. I've seen videos of her kicking, you know, and a soccer ball and a football are going to be really different. And and this is not just me, some big dumb lineman like speaking, you know, like I don't know what I'm talking about. I kicked in high school. I did. Yeah. It was like for four years. It was a lot of fun. It you know, kicking a football is is hard as hell. Um, but I've watched Sarah, you know, in video kick the hell out of a soccer ball. Um, and not only that, she went out and she executed exactly what the game plan was. Apparently, it was supposed to be a pooch kick. She nailed it. I mean, it, it's. I love the precedent that got set. Even you know, like I said, it it wasn't to set a precedent. I don't think you know by any. I, I don't you know. I'm not in the program or anything. But they literally were like we have. This is our literal best option. Um, but I do think it sets a precedent for a program to literally just go with what their best option is, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of anything. If you are the best kicker we can find on this campus, you're kicking the damn ball. And I think that's incredible. Yeah, it was a, a great moment. I was really excited about it. And you mentioned, yeah, she's listed as 6'2". Now, I couldn't find her weight because you're not going to ask a woman her weight. You're just not going to do that. I, right. You know, but I mean, I was just looking through the my pre, uh, you know, preseason magazine that I've got with all the stats and everything in there. And I just looked at the SEC and like Samaglia. Tennessee's kicker, he's six feet tall. Sarah Fuller's six two. Now Samagli weighs two ten. I'm very sure, you know, Sarah Fuller didn't weigh that much. Right. But I mean, you look six foot two is pretty much average height for kicker. I mean, I think there were some kickers that were like under six feet tall, like five eleven, five ten. And then right. I think a couple of kickers were like six five. So I mean, if we're talking about athletic, you know, every I saw everybody was even, you know, there, there's bigots coming all forms and all, oh, yeah. all flavors. The troglodytes, as I like to call them, like Bobby right. Brain Newman back in the day. Yeah. Exactly. But you would even have, even these guys that were just like, well, I'm just really worried about her getting hurt. How dumb are, do you have any idea how much athletic ability this young woman has? Like, we can talk about, you know, her, her height and weight all we want. She, you know, she's 6'2". She's a national championship winning goalie. Well, conference winner. Or excuse me, conference winner. My fault. But yeah, look at Rodrigo Blankenship from Georgia. We're talking yeah. about. I promise. From the back, let's ask America which one of these people you're worried about getting hurt on a yeah. football field. Or look up if you if you feel so inclined, go into YouTube and look up Garo Yaprimian. Yep. He was the kicker for the Dolphins forever, and he's got one of the greatest highlights or lowlights, depending on who fan you are, in Super Bowl history when the Dolphins were playing against the Washington football team and there was a block or a bad snap or something on a field goal, and poor Garo Yepremian, I think he's Hungarian, something like that, and he like, tries to throw a pass and just gets obliterated. Yeah. By <laughs> I, know, yeah, I know what you're talking about now. It, it's one of the most amazing. You look at the NFL Films production of it. It's beautiful. It's a work of art, really, when it comes to it. But 
one of the other things that people just don't realize, because again, you've got some limited soccer knowledge, especially in certain places of the country. No, not, where, Tennessee. not Tennessee. Come on. No, not at all. You know, she's from Texas, which I'm not going to, you know, but Wiley, Texas. And also as a goalkeeper, I mean, goalkeepers in soccer, you're not wearing pads except shin guards. Right. And, and yeah, goalkeepers have those Mickey Mouse gloves on, but that's just to help them catch the ball better. Right. But goalkeepers, when everybody else is coming at you, you're going the other way at them. Right. I mean, you can look up just goalies getting wrecked yep. on YouTube and everything, too, of just getting blown up by players, and they're not wearing pads. And I'm sure she did plenty of that. I didn't watch a lot of Vanderbilt soccer. But, yeah, I've seen some of the highlights. I mean, there was one where she got an assist on a free kick against Tennessee because she belted the ball all the way down the field. I am not worried about any of that. Right, and- exactly. Yeah, I mean, the whole thing, like all a goalie does in soccer, I mean, their main responsibility is obviously to stop goals. But their secondary responsibility is once they stop a goal, they can flip the field. I mean, literally, all they do is block and kick. Uh Huh? Imagine, I wonder what they could do in football. I don't know, maybe be the place kicker. And because all I was really worried about when I first heard last week that she was going to suit up was as long as she could do the three-step kick, because that was the big thing. And I talked about this on another podcast when Kari Lloyd, part of the women's soccer team for the the World Cup winning U.S. women's national team, was kicking like 50-yard field goals. You saw the tape, but she was taking a five-step approach. And I knew she was like, I'm fine with it. She's just got to take the three-step approach because I'm not – going to ask those offensive linemen to hold the block for two more steps. Yeah, there's just no way, man. Um, yeah. yeah, and I mean, uh, it's definitely an adjustment. Um, and you, you can kind of tell when she's kicking, you know, extra points and things that it's – she's also, you know, just watching, like I said, this real short videos of her yeah. uh, and breaking her down from a kicker analysis. She's used to kicking a soccer ball that it doesn't really matter how high you get it. Yep. So she's, but now you're worried about people literally blocking it Yep. Not just, you know, we're talking giant human beings with, you know, 80-inch wingspans trying to block this. Yeah. So, it, yeah. It, it's definitely different. It's it, it definitely brought highlights to a game where Vanderbilt lost 41 to nothing and Derek Mason got fired, which, again, poor Vanderbilt's offense just never got her a chance to either, let alone kick an extra point, not even try a field goal, right. which was depressing. We'll see again with if she gets the chance against Georgia this week coming up because <laughs> she me, is shooting up. So let me, let me spoil this for you. You ready? There's not a chance. Unfortunately, there's not a chance in hell. She, she kicks an extra point or a yep. field goal because Vanderbilt is not crossing the 50 yard line. Yeah. I agree with you on that. Unless for some reason there's a pick, there's an interception and Vanderbilt somehow returns it inside their own 10 yard line or something along those lines, or there's a pick six or something like that. Yeah. A pick six or a miracle. You know, they snap it over uh, Stetson's head or something. Yeah. So, and again, just a couple of other things that some people might not realize, because it was interesting because I had, and I take great pride in this and I know Trey, you do too, being a sports fan, but also a level headed one where we can talk to, other people because I had some people at my work who her and heard about everything, but they just didn't understand why it was a squib kick and different things like that. And I was very happy to sit there and say, Hey, no, the squib kick was planned. That was exactly what they wanted to do. They didn't want to disrupt her kicking like her, the way she kicks the ball in soccer right. to do all of this. 
which again I was really excited about. Um, but it's weird seeing all the insecure people online and feel threatened by it, which is just weird. And of course, all the usual talking idiot heads that we got to deal with. I'm not even going to mention them by name right. in the national media. Yeah, but she's, we- she's she's a girl. She can't. Yeah. All right. Well, what she kicked 65 yard field goals. Do you want her? No. Who do you yeah. want? All right. Let's pull. Didn't Tennessee pull some kid out of her out of a fraternity house? Like, oh yeah. Years yeah. Ago? I was trying to think of his name. Someone I'm sure in the comments section can get back to us. Yeah, but it was like, yeah, like eight years ago or something. They pulled a guy, yeah, off, out of the fraternity to be the emergency kicker, and he had to kick for a couple of games. Brody, Brody or Brodus or something like that. I think was his name. Something, something like that. But and he was, you know, he was a nightmare. Like he shanked a couple punts. And I get it. You're not. That's you. They literally pulled you out of out of a fraternity. And the story is they sobered you up in the locker room. I get it. But I would much rather have Sarah Fuller, who's going to practice with me all week. And, it, you know. But, yeah, I mean, the pooch kick was definitely planned. They don't want to mess up her form. You know, she, yeah. she's got a whole season left to play. Um, yeah, I mean, anybody that's threatened by this, just for this, the sake of, well, she's a girl. Needs to calm down. As Taylor Swift said, you need to calm down. Yeah, no, there was not one player in either locker room, and I've seen the videos and stuff on Twitter of there's reporters trying to get their, their Rocky and Apollo on him. They're like, do you have anything negative to say about Sarah Fuller? And they're like, no. Yeah. He's like, oh, something negative to say or something derogatory to say? Yeah. She's great. Yeah, the head coach of Missouri came up and talked to her before the game. Eli Drinkwitz said, you know, I have four daughters, and they're just very excited to see that. You saw little girls holding signs. Even Missouri fans were applauding. And it was weird arguing with people, too, where it's like, well, I guess when you're down 21 nothing, a squib kick's not the way you want to start the second half. And it's like, you know people do that to keep it away from a returner when they're right. dangerous. Like, they used to do that against Evan Barry all the time. Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean – yeah, I, people just don't know. It, it's insane to me when people are are so bigoted and ignorant on the way the world works. They're also ignorant on how football works. It, yeah. I love how that lines up. Yeah, it's amazing. But again, just a couple things. One of the things my wife really admired, uh, and I mean, I admired it too, but uh, Mrs. Shibbles being a big math person talked about how she wore a play like a girl, which is a charity where they try and encourage girls through STEM, you know, science, technology, uh, and math, and all those different things, the big sciences and mathematics. So it's through that and sports. So it's a charity that she's big proud of, which I thought was amazing. Um, She's going to graduate from Vanderbilt, which I don't know if I would have been able to do that. I graduated from Tennessee, but, you know, who knows if I could graduate from Vanderbilt. She's going to go and do graduate work at the University of North Texas, where in hospital administration and continue to play soccer, which is great there. And she does join, and I do have to tip my hat to Katie Nida and April Gross, who both uh, scored points for women at the FBS level, Katie Nida for New Mexico and gross for Kent state. And they both of course gave her complete props. And of course you've got like the great U S goalkeeper hope solo. So many other people were just extending thank yous and just great job and go get them. And again, I'm rooting for her. I would love for her to even get a shot against Tennessee. If that Tennessee Vanderbilt game does get played at the end of the year. Yeah. Yeah. And again, man, I, I think the whole, point of this 
is that that there will come a day where the you know the hoopla or what it's not even hoopla. I mean, it's legitimate praise that this girl deserves. Uh, but I cannot wait for the day when it, it's it's not needed because this is what is normal. Yeah, let's Agreed. let's put the best person on this campus. We have poured millions, I don't know about Vanderbilt, but whatever. You know, we've poured millions of dollars yeah. into making this program what it is. You know, we have years of tradition. We want to put the absolute best kicker we can on this field. I don't care what, you know, what they are, how they identify. Uh, as long If you can kick the damn ball, let's kick the damn ball. Put it through the uprights. I am all for that. And, again, I'm rooting for her. This Tennessee fan rooting for a Vanderbilt player does not happen very much at all. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I get it. Yep. But moving on to some other things that happened over, of course, a big football field Thanksgiving weekend. Uh, you had some stuff. You had Notre Dame going to Chapel Hill on a Friday and taking some shots from North Carolina for a while, but then they pull away 31-17. Notre Dame again. And, of course, then you've also got Clemson rebounded nicely from that loss and finally getting Trevor Lawrence back, taking care of Pittsburgh 52-17. to So, as both Clemson and Notre Dame proved weeks ago and just continue to prove it, that they're just by far and away head and shoulders above everybody else in the ACC. Yeah, 100%, man. I mean, it's uh, we've been talking all year on how things – it's 2020. You never know how things are going to end up. Um, as we're getting to this point in the season, it's, it's really – the smoke's kind of starting to settle. You know what I'm saying? So – Mm-hmm. Yeah, th- those guys are definitely dominating uh, the ACC, and they'll, you know, it's almost, it's pretty clear to me um, yep. they're both going to end up in the playoffs. Uh, I agree. A couple of upsets that happened in the top 25. Of course, again, this is why, especially this first game, you don't sell rivalry games short no matter what you think of both teams. Oregon State upsetting Oregon in the fog up there. But those guys, especially Oregon State, is coming back up a little bit. Uh, Also, Oregon, not the biggest powerhouse that they had been, even though they're still one of the best teams out in the Pac-12. But, I mean, this is a game I won money on because I had Oregon State at plus 11.5. I was like, this game's going to be way closer than that. I did not expect Oregon State to win outright, but they went ahead and did. Meanwhile, you also have Michigan State ruining Northwestern's chance at a perfect season, upsetting the Wildcats 29-20. to So a couple of top 25 upsets that, again, you could see happening. It's not one of those you got to sit back and be like, how the hell did this happen? One was a rivalry game. Two, Michigan State has not looked great, but they're still an okay squad, for crying out loud. Yeah, and I picked both those games wrong and terribly wrong. I I thought uh, (laughs) thought Michigan – I thought thought Oregon was going to destroy Oregon. I didn't even think they had a chance – and, uh, you know, I thought Purple Bandy was, you know, better than they are. I was wrong. Yeah. But it's it's all – things are okay also in the Big Ten because you had uh, – even though I think everybody got this one wrong in our picks game, uh, Penn State finally winning a game. I, know, uh, God, I, I picked Harbaugh. But they played Michigan yeah. this week, right? It was weird with that, too, because you kept seeing from everybody who talked about it and saw what watched Michigan, and it showed even when they were struggling but came back and won against Rutgers, that they were like, you know, they're like, Hallball is coaching like he's not going to quit on this team. And just reading those comments made me feel like, okay, I've got to pick Michigan because I was all ready to pick Penn State, but just the way people were saying that Michigan's 
fixed this, uh, made me pick them, and boy, was I wrong to do that. Uh, yeah, I, I know, and I picked Harbaugh to win it, and I was I felt sick. I was sick all day, Shibley. I was just like, how can I write? I literally wrote in the, the pick him Harbaugh, ooh, and, yep. and, and then lose. I, I'll never pick him again, ever. Ever. Yep. Tennessee wins every week. Michigan loses every week. I don't care who they're playing. Yep. Forever. <sighs> it's a beautiful one. Moving over to the NFL real quick. When you look at, of course, the great games on Thanksgiving that are all there, really not that great. Uh, the Texans beat down the Detroit Lions so bad, Matt Patricia got fired, their head coach. And the Washington football team beat up the Cowboys in, I think, the worst beating they've ever had on Thanksgiving. So good turkey day if you are if you just don't like the Lions or the, or the Cowboys. Yeah, man, Ezekiel Elliott is struggling like nobody I've ever seen, man. It's really, really sad. And a lot of that has to do with, you know, the quarterback shuffle that's happening there. Um, you know, teams are just really able to, to isolate him. But, I mean, what a year Dallas is having. <laughs> just, it's a nightmare every week. It's insane. Uh, of course, one of the good, one of the bright spots that happened on Sunday was the fact that my 49ers just beat up on the Rams, which I just love all the time. Anytime the 49ers beat the Rams, I am a happy person, no matter where the Rams are, whether they're in St. Louis or Los Angeles. You had one of the head-scratching games, the Falcons just beating the tar out of the Raiders. I thought the Raiders had kind of turned things around. I mean, they'd beaten the Chiefs early in the year. They just lost to them but just barely last week. And then they just lay an egg against a Falcons team that has, it took them a while, but they're a lot better team right now. Yeah. I mean, I would, the Raiders are, you know, I flip flop on who my favorite team is right now. I have sworn my allegiance to Dallas just because my dad, um, I like the Steelers a little bit too, but the Raiders, you know, I've always been a a big Raiders guy. I love John Gruden. That is, I need him on the Hill. Um, but He's not coming here. Uh, you see, you say that, but like ever. Nah, well, we may get him. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna start putting in message boards that we may get him. We'll get his brother uh, Jay Gruden, is who we'll end up with. <laughs> Gross. No, I'm a big Gruden guy, man. It's just you know, like you said, you think he's got it back on track, but doesn't. So he's gonna end up back in that club he founded if he doesn't get it turned around. That is true. Uh, of course, one of the things I was really surprised at this because the Colts, first of all, they destroyed the Titans a few weeks ago in Nashville. But then, wow, Derrick Henry doing some work for crying out loud. Three touchdowns, 178 yards, just bowling over people as Tennessee easily beats up on the Colts and just makes that conference or uh, division just up for grabs right now. Yep, Derrick Henry plays his best football in Tennessee. I've been saying it for years. Yeah, it's just insane. You look at some of the other things. What did you think about this with the Saints and the Broncos? Where the the Broncos, bless their heart, they their entire quarterbacks group got was out of the game because of contact tracing. So they have to make a call to their practice squad and Hinton, who was a practice squad wide receiver, he did play football in college, gets thrown in as the emergency, emergency quarterback. And they end up playing on Sunday. 
Now, the Saints destroy them 31-3, to which was pretty much going to be expected because it's like they took five minutes and then they realized what Hinton was able to and not able to do. Right. It was weird that the NFL made the Broncos play that game, but yet all the stuff that was going on with the Ravens organization with their COVID outbreak, I know. and they kept getting that game pushed back until they played this Wednesday. It's crazy, man. But uh, I, it, you know, Lamar Jackson is kind of—he's really the face of the league right now. So I mean, it makes yeah. sense. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you this: I'll tell you what the Broncos should have done is they should have called Sarah Fuller. I'll be honest. Yeah. With you. They, she, I'm telling you, she's more athletic than all what's his face. Yeah. Oh, I'm there at this point. Of course, one of the other faces of the league, Patrick Mahomes. That was the game of the night with the Chiefs versus the Buccaneers. Of course, it made me mad because I had the Chiefs at three and a half, and they only win by three, but they still beat Tom Brady. It's weird. The Buccaneers, it's they've become one of those teams where they're beating everybody they're supposed to beat, but they're not beating anybody else. Yeah. Like, all five of their losses have been in big primetime games, so it's going to be really interesting coming playoff time when the lights are on. I just don't think they're going to be able to do it. No, I, I do think they'll make the playoffs. I do think they're that caliber of team, but no, man. If they, I would say this, man. Patrick Mahomes is a magician. Yep. That dude is unlike any other quarterback uh, that's ever played the game. Like there is no compa- – you can't compare him to anybody other than maybe like a Brett Favre, but he's like the perfect Brett Favre. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, but anyway – yeah, I, so I mean, I, I don't blame them for not beating you know the Chiefs because Mahomes was on, but I do think they'll they'll make the playoffs, maybe a wild card team. Um, but now the Bucks are not going to make a Super Bowl push. Right, I I agree with that one. Meanwhile, just a couple of other news and notes, at least out there. Uh, the Tennessee Lady Vols, the men's team, was not able to play. It uh, does look like, though, Rick Barnes is out of isolation, so they're able to practice. It uh, looks like they scheduled a game to replace at least a couple of them that they lost, UT Martin. So hopefully that Tennessee Martin game is going to be now the start of the Tennessee men's basketball team. Uh, schedule and that's going to happen next Wednesday hopefully fingers crossed there meanwhile the Lady Vols they did get their season underway Kelly Harper uh, starting off with a 87-47 win over Western Kentucky which is a always good to win your opener no matter who you play and then they of course beat up on uh, Johnson City Community College otherwise known as East Tennessee State University (laughs) beat them 67 to 50. (laughs) <laughs> I've not heard it called Johnson City Community College since I was a kid. Yeah, oh, I'm so happy that I remembered. That's what people call it. Oh yeah, yeah. Then- yeah it's it's always good to have basketball back. But thank you so much for bringing that up, Chipley. You were very welcome. I missed that bit. <laughs> moving on to uh, moving on to some other stuff. You had one of the other weird. It almost felt like a social experiment. Uh, with it was the uh, Mike Tyson Roy Jones Jr. exhibition boxing match uh, that happened. Of course, both of these guys in their fifties, great champions that they had been. The fight was ruled a draw, which was just a gift because everybody who watched it and I've seen the highlights and everything, it looked like Mike Tyson in this eight-round uh, bout really dominated Roy Jones Jr. Yeah, it, man, I'm right there with you. I'm almost to the point that it's like, 
I've seen the highlights. I've not seen. I didn't see the fight. You know, every second from start to finish, by any means. But from what I have seen, it's almost like they knew it was going to be a tie going in there. Yeah, just so you can have you know round two or you know fight two, whatever. Yeah, it, uh, it, it, it's almost it, like in Rocky Three when uh, Rocky fights Thunderlips, aka Hulk Hogan, and they're like, "Oh, it's a draw. Let's get out of here before anything happens." Yeah, we're going to rule this as a draw. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. That was uh, just amazing. Yeah, incredible. Um, yeah, man, but uh, yeah, it, it's a spectacle. Not to, I was going to use a Rocky reference myself. Uh, in Rocky Balboa, the sixth movie, they asked the guy he's going to be fighting. He says, uh, he says, isn't boxing in enough trouble without these spectacle events? And he says, next question. Yeah. So it's if this is what we're doing now with this, with boxing – you know, we need we need a uh, uh, fury and and uh, oh, what's his face to box again? Yeah, we de- we definitely need that. Um, meanwhile, you talk about some of the other things that happened. I mean, first of all, Tyson had an advantage, fifty seven twenty eight, and power punches. So again, Tyson definitely won it. I mean, he, Tyson especially just looked in amazing shape for fifty four. I mean, if I look in half as good a shape as Tyson is. At fifty four, I will take it all day long. Oh, he was definitely he was bigger now, man. Like he was, I think he had more, you know, definitely more muscle mass than he did when he was fighting. Now, yeah. boxing that's not necessarily always the best thing by any means. Yeah, um, but definitely looked in, in incredible shape. And what I loved about it is that we got to see crazy Mike Tyson again. Yes, like I don't know if you saw where he was talking to Rogan. It was saying like how fighting like turns him on. It's like a, a weird primal like sexual thing. And Rogan's just like, bro, what are you talking about? Yeah. He's Mike Tyson. Whatever, yeah. man. Yeah, you're just yeah, you're literally the most dangerous human being walking around on the planet at fifty four years old. Exactly. And what of course the other highlight from it that everybody remembers is poor Nate Robinson. And I like Nate Robinson. <laughs> I love it. Oh, that's my favorite part of the weekend. Chase, Chase Dyer, of course, on uh, Wild with a Y was talking about this. Because, again, Chase and I are both shorter people. Nate Robinson's 5'7", won a dunk contest, has always been a hard worker. But he got dropped by Jake Paul, who I cannot stand one iota. I think J- Jake Paul is an awful human being, personally. Agreed. So it just was just like, oh, my God. He went – Nate Robinson went to sleep. Now, he – has owned up to it. He has taken all the shots. He got back into his group chat, I guess, with his friends, and they didn't hold back, uh, saying a bunch of things that I will not repeat on this fine program. Um, <laughs> but what what the the only good thing that might come out of this is the fact that Jake Paul is apparently trash talking Conor McGregor, and I'm like, please, oh. and I don't like Conor McGregor at all. Jeez. But I hate him less than I hate Jake Paul. He's a killer, bro. Yeah. It's like, oh, uh, please tell me that's going to happen. Yeah, what I will say about the 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 Jay Paul uh, Nate Robinson fight is that uh, what's the brother's name? The other Paul brother? Isn't it Logan Paul? Logan, yeah. He he's boxing. It's a whole thing he's doing now. Yep. And he had a fight, and he fought some other. You know who? I'm not. I can't say the F word. Who cares? Uh, uh, you know fight here a year or so ago. Um, but I will say this, man, watching that fight and watching kind of the highlights and things is you can tell that Jake trained for the yep. fight. He trained to be a boxer 
And I guess Nate, you know, apparently Nate Robinson trained. There's videos of him training, but nobody taught that dude to box. Like he was just yeah. in there. It's almost like you, you know, me and you talk about rough and rowdy all the time because it's my favorite thing on earth. Oh, but they yeah. look, they look like those guys. Like, yeah, you, you may be able to hit hard, but you're not going to win a boxing match. No, there is something different, and that's why it's called the sweet science. Because yeah, you might not have the just, you know, complete power that a Mike Tyson or your character Tracules in Sagas and Shenanigans has when it comes to just knocking people to F out when it comes to stuff. But with boxing, too, you can outbox somebody. Like, you can take that power away. That's what Holyfield did to Tyson before Tyson (laughs) bit his ear off. So, I mean, you have all those things that happen, and that's why it's called the sweet science. Yep, yeah. I mean, it was just... It was like watching somebody that's like, man, I can fight. I don't need to do all this, man. So I'm going to kill this dude. And then you got in the ring with somebody that's been training six, seven hours a day, every day for six weeks to be yeah. a boxer. If they know how to bob and weave and move that head and you can't hit it, yeah, you're in a lot of trouble. Yep, and then knows how to throw it back at you. It's yep. you know, You're going to sleep. Exactly. You're going to go night-night. Um. One of the other events that also happened, it's been a big sports weekend of just other things happening besides football. Um, They had another one of these golf matches uh, that they've been doing, you know, where it was like Tiger and Phil. And then, of course, you had um, Tiger and Peyton, you know, and and then Phil Mickelson was out there the last time with, you know, playing back and forth, which is everything. But this time it was a little bit different where you had uh, Peyton Manning and Stephen Curry, two great golfers and athletes in their own right and they were facing uh phil mickelson and charles barkley <laughs> in a match play and one of the things because everybody was just like ready to just declare peyton and stephen curry the winner now i was not going to bet on this because again i there's those little nagging doubts in the back of my head that i just didn't want to put any money on it um well, because you, you never know how serious they're going to take it. Right. And one of the things you need to pay attention to, because those of you who don't know why this is so funny, just just go on YouTube and watch Charles Barkley's golf swing for the most part. It's the ugliest thing on the planet. But one of the things that I just kept saying, because like my dad and other people who are bigger golf people kept asking, it's like, I mean, how bad is this going to be? And it's like, you guys keep forgetting. Like, yes, Peyton Manning, Stephen Curry, great golfers in their own right. And they're better golfers than I am. But Phil Mickelson has won five majors. Right. He's still, yeah. We're talking he about is, professional. He is an elite golfer. And there is a big difference between elite golfing and just someone who might have a zero handicap or something like that. Who's good. Like Stephen Curry and Peyton Manning are golf is that he can do things with a golf ball that these guys can only dream of. And it was like Charles Barkley, even said, and Phil gave him credit, Charles Barkley went out for like the two months before this happened and just worked his tail off. All he had to do was put the ball somewhere that was green. Don't put it in the woods. Just keep it somewhere green because it was an alternating shot format. So after Charles hit, Phil would hit. So as long as Charles didn't end up somewhere terrible, Phil could pretty much save you every time. Exactly. And it sets you up for just optimal shots. Yeah, and uh, that's that's what happened here. Barkley and Phil Mickelson beat uh, Stephen Curry and Peyton Manning four and three in a match play. So the the match ended after the fifteenth hole. They didn't even get to have to go to the eighteenth hole when wow. it came to it. So yeah, so, they pretty much dominated. Really, 
Yeah, it's it's crazy, man. I mean, it's what a weird, 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 weird year it is. It has been. Uh, one of the sadder notes of this year uh, came just a couple of days ago where uh, the wrestling community lost just one of the greatest minds in the world of professional wrestling uh, in and outside the ring behind the scenes, and that was WWE Hall of Famer Pat Patterson, uh, a great French-Canadian wrestler, the first-ever Intercontinental Champion, uh, winning, of course, the belt in a tournament in Rio de Janeiro. Uh, wink, wink, which actually meant they just gave him the championship. Right, right. <laughs> uh, Anytime somebody wins something in wrestling in Rio de Janeiro, never happened. That's just all. <laughs> that is a whole thing. But then Pat Patterson, you know, left, retired from wrestling uh, in 1984 and then worked behind the scenes for years. He was the architect of the Royal Rumble, one of my just favorite events of the year. Some of the great Royal Rumbles that you'll ever see, like 1992 when Flair won or the one they don't talk about in 2004 when Chris Benoit won it or 2009 when Edge returned. Some of those, just the way they were structured, all by Pat Patterson, was a thing of beauty. He taught so many of these guys different ways to sell and just make great storytelling in the ring. He was a great road agent behind the scenes. I mean, you see glowing things from everybody from Chris Jericho to The Rock, who said Pat Patterson was really the first to notice him in the developmental uh, period and of course you have other French Canadians who are currently wrestling like Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn who have just had wonderful glowing things to say about Pat Patterson. Yeah, it's really awesome, man. He's, we lost a good one. It's it's really 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 sad. And it's it's amazing, and I'm glad that it's becoming this where Pat Patterson passing away. One of the things that nobody knew for a long time, at least publicly, he came out on the uh, that the the show like uh, what was it? The, it was on the network. It was one of the first things they ever did on the network, like Beach House or whatever it was. It was a reality show with a bunch of old wrestlers just hanging out in the house together. He came out to all of them as gay, and it that's I'm gr- grateful that that's one of the last things we talk about. Like it doesn't even need to be the headline of exactly. all the other accomplishments that Pat it, Patterson had. It, nobody got on online and said, you know, former gay wrestler Pat Patterson. Now that man. It's it, it's the same thing we were talking about earlier, man. If you are the best at what you do, it does not matter what you are, uh, you know, or anything like that, man. As long if you're if you're up there, if you're the best case scenario, um, that should be all that matters. Yes, Pat Patterson will be sorely missed. One of those people that the wrestling community it just it's just a big hole being left in the wrestling community without Pat Patterson being there. Yep, uh, definitely, man. We definitely lost uh, lost a great member of the community. But now we just move on as they always do in professional wrestling. They just keep going no matter what happens. You had AEW. They had their by far their biggest event ever on AEW Dynamite. They dubbed it Winter is Coming, and it featured some big, big things. Of course, the first one being the return of the icon Sting, which was... Ah. Exactly. Just an amazing moment. Yep, man. It, it's I loved what the WWE did with him when yep. he finally did get in the right. You know, they they re kind of they did the Monday Night Wars how they could. You know what I mean? Like I, I liked the way they yeah. did it, even though it was I, twenty years dead at that point or almost. Exactly, man. I am so 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 excited to see what AEW does with Sting. Yeah, Ex- especially with as much. 
you know, as many jabs that get taken at the WWE, you know, even with AEW's conception with Cody, you know, breaking the throne. Um, I'm really excited to see what, uh, you know, what AEW can, can come up with with him. I agree, and it seems at least so far, when you look at legends, like, again, a Chris Jericho, and now we'll see with Sting, where it doesn't look like they're going to just push them all the way to the top. Like, they understand that they do need to put some of these younger guys over, so we'll kind of see where all of this goes. But it was just, I, I felt like I was back in 1997, where, like, when Sting walked out, and, of course, the crowd, for as limited as it was, made a lot of noise when Sting showed back up. Man, you get those nostalgia pops. It is amazing. But then Tony Schiavone, of course, just going like, it's Sting! Like, it was just amazing to hear that. Yep, yeah, no, exactly. And I, I love, again, I love how AEW, even though that, you know, they're obviously, they're the antithesis of a WWE program, but they can still, you know, pull some of that, they, they know where the nostalgia lies, yep. and they're not afraid to go there. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It was in a great moment, and of course we'll see where all of it goes. I was I was just loved seeing that. And then you have the – it was also great because – and they even talked about it when Sting came out because it was just how serendipitous this all was because on um, WCW's final night, Sting wrestled Ric Flair on the last episode of Monday Nitro, which was the last time wrestling was on TNT before AEW came along with Dynamite. So it was just really cool now to see Sting come back, which was just awesome. Yep, exactly. I mean, it's, I don't know. It's really, like I said, it's super, super great to have Sting back to the point that I'm like, all right, now let's get to next week. I want to see what are we doing. Well, let's yeah, of course. let's yeah. get this story going. It's like Sting speaks, and Tony Schiavone, of course, is going to talk to him, which just is just going to harken back to all old school days, which I'm really excited about. But also AEW going forward, where you have a new AEW champion, Kenny Omega, beating John Moxley. Of course, they had had a quote unquote gentleman's agreement to just be straight up wrestling with it, no other type of chicanery, but that didn't end up happening. It was just amazing to see as the man known, if you followed the WWE forever back in the 90s, it was Cyrus, which was just weird to see. But he came out and told everybody, <laughs> after Kenny Omega won, after they used you know the microphone stand and Kenny Omega hit four V-triggers and then the one-winged angel, which no one except Kota Ibushi has kicked out of, uh, Kenny Omega is your new champion. And Don Callis just runs him out, and they're running to the limousine, and then right before, they're trying to interview him, and Don Callis says, we'll explain everything on Tuesday. And they're like, but Dynamite's on Wednesdays. Like, yeah, we'll see on Impact, because Don Callis is the head man over at Impact Wrestling. Oh, gee. I, see, I, see I, I always miss the AEW stuff, because I, I kind of catch up with it after the fact. Um, so I missed all that. That's going to be super interesting. It is what is amazing because already AEW has been doing some talent sharing uh, with the NWA or what's left of the NWA, which of course is headed up by Billy Corgan, former Smashing Pumpkins lead guy. I guess he's still the lead singer of the Smashing Pump. I don't know the status of Smashing Pumpkins. This isn't a music podcast. Um, <laughs> but like Thunder Rosa, who I love, has been, you know, and you've got the NWA women's champion, which was first Thunder Rosa, now it's Sarah Deeb. And 
so they've been doing some talent sharing and now you could have some talent sharing and things with impact. So you've got, you know, AEW leading the way, but then you've got little things with the NWA and with impact. And it's like, you almost kind of make some sort of group to help challenge the WWE. When you do things like that, of course, one of the big things people keep saying is they wish new Japan was a part of this. And I do too. The problem is, uh, you know, we still have a virus going around. Uh, people from Japan really can't travel here right now, but I would love to of course have Okada and Naito and some of those guys. Yeah, man, it's one of those things that it's, it could, it could work. It could work great. Um, but I, I do think stuff like it, you know, impact can really bring AEW down. It almost looks like, you know, hey, AEW, you had, you were running great by yourself. If, if you're not, if you feel so, you know, it almost makes them look scared. Like, hey, we're going to have to, we're going to start teaming up to beat up on, on Big Brother here. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah. I just think, you know, I think AEW doesn't need to do this. Yeah. Um, and I hope it works out, obviously, but yeah. I, I think it's got potential to backfire. Yeah, it, it does. I think, and again, as they always say, the old thing in wrestling with a lot of it, especially now, is let's play it out and see where this goes. And, I mean, to me, what a lot of that is, maybe it's just a short-term type of crossover, maybe to help out Impact a little bit. I mean, that's kind of what the WWF at the time did in 97 with ECW for a little bit until Vince started you know, paying them. But... Maybe we'll see kind of where it goes. Maybe it's just a little bit of something. And hey, if, if it brings more eyeballs over to Impact, it's going to help them out. It's, but as long as I think, because that was the thing that you would run into with some of those groups that used to be part of the NWA and the AWA and all that when they tried to do some of those super clash cards back in the 80s to kind of compete with the WWE. And it just ended up being a disaster because, as Vince said for so long, you get those groups in, they couldn't even agree on how to order coffee, let alone book a wrestling show. As long as you have one group that's the head of it, which I think AEW would be, I think you can pull it off just fine. Yeah, we'll see, man. We definitely will. But I think Impact, it blows my mind that Impact is still going. Yeah. There's many people that have come in and then left. You know what I mean? Like, how are you guys still putting on? If literally Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair, Kurt Angle, you know, all these mega superstars couldn't get your program over the hump. I, you know, yeah, well, I think AEW yeah. is better off leaving them alone, but yeah. that's my opinion. We'll see. Well, the fact that Don Callis has booked there, and Don Callis, from what I have seen, has a great track record of being a really good wrestling mind. I mean, yeah, we've got alarm bells going off. We got to be careful on all of this on how this goes. <laughs> but it's one of those things where, yeah, with Don Callis being a great wrestling mind, I think you can keep it to where if you keep it simple, it's going to be fine. Yep, agreed. Yeah. But you ready to finally pick some college football games here? Let's do it, buddy. All right. We move into, again, great top 25 action. It was really interesting. The story of the week has been the fact that it was going to be probably the greatest Sunbelt game that we will have ever seen when Coastal Carolina was facing Liberty, even though Liberty did finally have one loss. But due to uh, COVID issues within the Liberty football program, that game got scrapped. Coastal Carolina made one phone call, made a call to the best game they could possibly get. It's going to be now BYU traveling all the way over to the South Carolina coast to play at Coastal Carolina. 
it's probably the biggest game ever on ESPNU. You've got the Cougars versus the Chanticleers. BYU is a 10-point favorite going into that one. Yeah, I think that is, man, sometimes, sometimes Vegas just nails it. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Um, I'm not betting this game because I it's going to be too close to 10, but I do think BYU wins this game by exactly 10 points. Yeah. Again, yeah, I've got the Cougars winning this game. But again, it's a win win for everybody, uh, except Liberty. But it, it's, oh, it's going to be a great game. Yeah. That was going to be a great game. But Coastal Carolina versus BYU, I'll take that. You've got these two teams vying to get some attention from the playoff committee, especially BYU. It's perfect. I've got BYU, yeah, winning pretty much by about 10 points. Yeah. It's, it's a nightmare to bet, but it's fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, this one I'm going to jump all over, I feel. You've got Texas A&M going to the Plains to face Auburn. Texas A&M's only a six-and-a-half-point favorite. I think, again, people, I think, are looking at just kind of the bad performance that Texas A&M had against LSU. But I'm still going to go with Texas A&M. I think they rebound nicely, and I think they blow out Auburn. Yeah, I'm right there with you, man. Now, uh, you know, my dad is a is, – I don't want to say an avid listener. He just listens because I send him the link three or four times until he does. Uh, <laughs> my, dad, my, parents. my dad's been texting me all week talking about, you know, because betting is legal in Tennessee, and this is the first time we've ever really bet. Right, Shipley? Yep. yep. Uh, first legal bets was November 1st when it was legal here. Exactly. <laughs> uh, dad's been texting me all week, man, because the money line on Auburn winning the game is like plus 250 or plus 300. Um, Dad thinks Auburn's going to win this game, and, and I, I'm, I'm inclined to believe him. He he made some good points. He mentioned that you know A and M uh, playing LSU a little too close. Auburn, you know, kind of got things, you know, kicking against us. Obviously, um, I I think not only is Auburn going to cover, I'm taking the money line, not for the whole kit and caboodle by any means. Don't go to the bank. Don't take out a loan yet. But I am going to pick Auburn to win this game outright. Okay. Yep, we we disagree on that one, but that's fine. That's We are allowed to have a difference of opinion every once in a while on this fine program. Uh, looking at some of the other games, you've got one of the interesting ones. Again, you've got West Virginia, Iowa State. Again, it's six and a half Iowa State. Iowa State, I think, looked really good coming back against Texas on the road. I've got Iowa State by more than a touchdown. Yeah, Brock Purdy. Yeah, I think they went by at least 10 points. Another uh, top 25 matchup, you've got Indiana and Wisconsin. Wisconsin beating every game that they can get at this point to try and get into the hopes of being able to be considered for a Big Ten playoff push and getting into that championship game. Of course, if Ohio State doesn't have enough games, you know they're going to change the rules for Ohio State. I'll tell you that right now to get into the playoff. Oh, it's a guarantee. But Indiana is a 14-point underdog. They really like what Wisconsin's able to do. I mean, I, I don't think Indiana's going to win this game, but I think it's going to be closer than a touchdown. But I just I did just remember before that, uh, Indiana's quarterback, Michael Penix Jr., is out with a torn ACL. So it maybe changes my mind a little bit. Yeah, that's what I was about to say, man. With, with, uh, with him being out... Um, I've been all about what Indiana's got to sell this year. I've been buying it up. But, man, that quarterback at Wisconsin is something else. Yep. Uh, 
you know, what I hope is that he throws seven or eight touchdowns against him and gets in this Heisman race and beats out Trask. <laughs> that would be nice. Uh, of course, again, you've already made your pick with the Vanderbilt-Georgia game. I do think Sarah Fuller's going to kick an extra point. I think it will happen by hook or crook. Vanderbilt's going to get a touchdown some stupid way in this game. Maybe Georgia just lies down and lets them score so she can kick the extra point. We'll kind of see where that goes. But, again. Yeah, I, I think that in, you know, if it was against Alabama, that may be a choice. But Georgia – has got to play tough, man. They're they're too much. There's too much. Georgia, you know, could be one of those first teams, you know, out or in yep. as far as the playoff goes. I think they they beat the hell out of Vanderbilt. Now I do have something interesting for you, Shepley, when it comes to betting. Okay, I was looking at some parlays uh, this week. Um, tell me what you think about this. Just I mean, just just for happenstance. Uh, if there's a two-team parlay that you can take the money line on, if you pick Vanderbilt to beat Georgia and Syracuse to beat Clemson this week, if they both win, uh, it pays 750 to 1. Whew. So if you bet $10, you win 7500 Yeah, I think for the most part you're going to burn that $10. Uh, but, yeah. I'm thinking about putting $100 on it because I may win 75000 Yeah. I, I it, yeah. it may be the dumbest bet I ever make in my entire life, but I've never seen odds that crazy on just two teams winning. You know no, the mean? dumbest bet you would ever make in your life is you you play the big six, big eight in craps, but that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother podcast talking yeah. about casino we, gambling. Exactly. Yeah, we could, we'll be here all night. Yeah. Uh, what if you threw in LSU uh, to win straight up against Alabama with <laughs> in that parlay? Well, let me look. It'd be, yeah, it'd be, we, we can keep doing picks. I'll be doing yeah. this in the back end. Meanwhile, you've got Alabama, yeah, traveling to LSU. You've got Alabama is a 29.5-point favorite on the road against the defending national champs. That shows how crazy this year has been when it comes to that. I mean, I still feel like Alabama might only win by four touchdowns, so but I'm just not gonna touch that bet. Yeah, I mean I, I'm one hundred percent right there with you. I never touch uh, LSU Alabama. It's just it's too yeah. You just never know how Ordron's gonna play against them. Yep. Uh, or coach against them rather. By the way, that's Syracuse versus Notre Dame. I said clips in a second ago. That's fine. Um anyway, sorry, I'm literally just about to burn all my money on my bank account. Um, but yeah, no, I'm right there with you. Definitely do not, uh, don't bet that game. It is a nightmare. All right. Well, our final pick, of course, is the Big Orange versus the Gators, where that rivalry has been going since 1990, since Tennessee blew out Spurrier in his first year, 45 to three. One of my favorite games to watch as a little kid. You've got all the rivalry, all the big things happening. It has been a weird, weird season. Tennessee. Coming in two and five, their only hope is to play spoiler. Florida can clinch the SEC East title at Tennessee with a win. Of course, they're looking for style points as well. Florida is a 17 and a half point favorite. The over under 62 and a half. Tennessee cannot defend the slant to save their life. I don't see that changing against a Heisman caliber quarterback. I just don't think it's going to be that close. I still. I think Florida wins by three touchdowns. Oh, Shibley, Shibley, Shibley. (laughs) 
Why do we do it to ourselves, man? I don't know, know, man. I'm always excited to to sit down and talk with you about sports until the past six weeks on this segment. Um, I I conscientiously objected on our pick'em, so I don't know how that's going to work out. I'll figure something out. Uh, But I don't guess I can do that on here. Um, Here's what I think, Shedley. You ready? Okay. I think that Harrison Bailey uh, is going to find a football that has NFL players' uh, talent in it, okay? And he's Are you gonna, talking like the Be Like Mike that had, uh, what was that little kid that used to be? He, little Bow Wow. He, he little Bow Wow, and he found shoes that Michael Jordan he, once owned. Gonna, yeah, Harrison Bailey is going to find Peyton's Nikes uh, on, a, uh, on a, a light pole. Uh, and he's going to throw for six touchdowns, and Eric Gray's going to run for 250 yards, and we're going to win the game by touchdown. I would love for that to happen. I don't see it happening, but that would be one of the greatest probably wins and upset wins in Tennessee football history, and I would love to see it. I just I don't – I'm not feeling it, man. Not feeling it at all. Oh, I'm not either. I'm feeling nauseous thinking about it, I'll be yeah. honest with you. But uh, – yeah, I think Tennessee wins the game 42 to 35. Okay. If it does, my goodness, we will have the just the best ever podcast coming back from this. It'll I will be, be I will be intolerable to, to be around. And that would be great. I would I, love I would love I, to have that on the podcast. It'd be happier than everything else we've done this year. Exactly. By the way, Shidley, if you add LSU beating Alabama outright, uh it – if you bet ten dollars, you win a hundred and two thousand. Oh my god! So, uh, I mean, we might have to throw ten dollars at it one time, shit. We? <laughs> we'll have it's a whole new studio. I, I'll tell you what, I'm putting ten dollars on that three team parlay. I'm doing it. Okay. Now you want to talk about mad? If Syracuse beats Notre Dame and Vanderbilt beats Georgia, and then <laughs> LSU doesn't beat Alabama because we added the third team, bar, you know, for the parlay. I may just break down and, and cry. Yeah. Hopefully one of the first ones just don't happen. You don't have to, probably none of them will happen. Obviously no, that's why the odds are so high. You have to throw $10 at a chance of winning 102,000. Have you seen how football is designed? It that's is the true. most, it's the most oddly shaped little thing in the entire world. And that's why the football bounces the way it does. My friend. All right. Well, let's wrap this up. Trey, where can everybody uh, get a hold of you and see all the crazy stuff you're up to? Uh, you can find me in Vegas after I win this parlay. Uh, okay. I'm just kidding. You can find me uh, on Twitter at Trey Pack, T-R-E-P-A-C-K. You can also find me on Instagram. Uh, that's at Trey Pack 1 because the original Trey Pack has not posted anything since 2012. And Instagram doesn't respond to emails. I'm still mad. That's right. Uh, yep, I hate it. You can also find me on Facebook. Just search Trey Pack. Uh, and you can see where I'm going to be telling these jokes. Excellent. And of course you can find me on Twitter, Michael underscore Shibley. You can find me on Instagram with the uh, man in the arena, uh, Facebook and Instagram pages where we post updates. We post the show links. Of course, wherever you get these uh, shows, please give us those five-star reviews wherever you listen in the podcasting world. And of course, as we mentioned, of course, Sagas and Shenanigans, where we play Dungeons and Dragons, you, me, and a bunch of other characters, including Mrs. Shibbles, are there. You've got Wild with a Y, which is Chase Dyer, Sam Donnelly, and Patrick Pope doing whatever the heck they do on that show. You have, uh, you've got uh, BRBAFK, a video game podcast, Geeks Inherit to the Earth, 
which is another pop culture uh, podcast as well. So check them all out, good friends of ours. And of course, again, I mentioned it last week on the podcast, but I'll do it again. Uh, Risk, True Tales, People Never Thought They'd Dare to Share, uh, hosted by Kevin Allison. If you search R-I-S-K with an exclamation point, wherever you find your podcast, you've got me, just like I do at every comedy show, leading off, telling the first story. It's awesome. I'm so happy to be on it. So check that out as well. Love it, man. I love it. Uh, I'm super excited to hear that. Speaking of you leading off, Shelby, I went back uh, through some old stuff. I was going to send it to you, but I thought I'd just bring it up next time I talk to you. I found the uh, the Facebook you know, group, whatever, event from the first time I was ever booked for anything in the opener was one Michael Shibley. Yeah. Um, I think that's very special. That is awesome. That is, that is, yeah, you should send that to me. That's my, I love being the leadoff guy. I was a leadoff in Little League and I'm happy to lead off any comedy show that we're on. Yeah, let's do it, buddy. All right. Yeah, hopefully we can get out again and do that very soon. But again, for Trey Pack, I'm Michael Shibley. Too sweet. Love you guys. Go Falls against the Gators and we'll see you next week. Bye. Thank you.